2: Hello, Troja fans. Welcome to episode number 324 of the Peristyle podcast. Today is June 10th, 2014. I know it's a Tuesday. I was traveling yesterday back in Baltimore for the Rivals 5 Star Challenge. We got to see you know 100 of the best players in the country best high school prospects that USC are going after. A whole bunch of them, so we, we can talk about that, but want to let you know that's why we're not doing a show. We didn't do the show on Monday. We're doing it on Tuesday. If you have any questions or comments, always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the easiest way, or you can go to parastylepodcast.com. leave a voicemail there, or you can call our voicemail number, 206-888-6755. We're going to bring in uh, Dan Weber later on the show, talking about the team, USC Summer Workouts, and we got Coach Harvey Hyde. We want to talk to him in the first segment because today, Coach, is the very first day that USC is off probation for the last four years. So all the USC administrators and football players, everyone, give yourself a pat on the back. You are no longer on NCAA probation.
0: Well, uh, (laughs) I agree. This is a great moment. Uh, It's been a life-termer for for a traffic violation, okay? (laughs) I mean, you got a parking ticket and paul d d s uh, and those guys, those committee guys got together and decided to uh, give the death sentence uh, gave your last meal, what you want to eat and and did that and, you know and, and I know a lot of people say it a lot kinder than what I say it they 're very smooth at the way they say things and write things, but it 's the most ridiculous thing that people that call themselves professionals, professionals with some with doctor 's degree, some that probably have been. Attorneys and lawyers and whatever they might be and successful in their field, college presidents, whatever you want to call it, can come down with that type of uh, decision on USC, and I'll always remember this decision because it was uh, ridiculous, and then allow others to slide by because they determined afterwards that it wasn't right and they can't do the same thing for some of the other universities. I believe in treating everyone the same. They don't believe that in USC, and I'm still very dis- disappointed on the Pac-12, the way they didn't, uh, you know, rally to su- support USC on what the penalties were. So uh, it's a bad memory for me, uh, as far as uh, a lack of, they call institutional control at USC. I call it a lack of institutional control at the NCAA to be able to justify that. Now, did I let you know what my feelings are? <laughs>
2: you certainly did coach and uh, we're going to talk more about that because we got some questions to get to and i'll make some clarifications but i wanted to thank our sponsor first southern california tickets sc com, is the website or you can give them a call at 1-800-888-7287 i don't know if you saw but the la kings are now up 3-0 in the stanley cup final so you might not get a chance to get another game in staples center because they're playing in new york and if uh, the kings can close it out but there's a lot of games going on with the dodgers and angels and Maybe another Kings game here in Staples Center. We'll see. But you can go to SCTickets.com, and, and they will hook you up there. And, uh, Coach, I get a lot of tweets about this. Uh, we do have a question, too, about the sanctions, uh, about the, the nice article that the LA Times wrote um, about the, the sanctions ending. But people don't kind of realize the sanctions really aren't over uh, as far as the recruiting, the initial scholarship sanctions. Those are, uh, those are done. Uh, the next time USC signs a, has a signing day, uh, signing class, it can be a full class of 25. So there's no more restrictions there. Uh, but they did appeal the, uh, overall, the overall scholarship number, which is 85 normally. Now for USC, is 75. There's still one more season of that. This upcoming football season, USC can only play with at most 75 scholarship players, and they won't even be uh, that close to that, actually. Uh, so that's still going on. But probation, which... You know What's tied into allowing fans to go to practice and be on the sidelines or showing up at camps and things like that, that probation period is now over. But because they didn't appeal that, that's actually ending before the full brunt of the sanctions are, are done. So we won't, the sanctions won't actually be done until USC plays their last football game. Then there'll be no more restrictions.
0: So now let me ask you to make it clear for all of us so we understand it, including myself this year uh, you will not the fans will not be able to go to practice again
2: oh no okay so uh i'm sorry if i made that confusing there this year usc has to play with at most 75 scholarship players but because probation is over it's now not an ncaa rule that fans can't attend fall practice so i I do believe and we don't i don't know exactly what's going to happen but there you know if if steve sarkisian wants to He can allow fans back on Howard Jones Field to watch practice. They don't have to sit up in the deck. Uh, Now he is going to close practice uh, during the you know portions of practice to the media. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what he's going to do with the fans. I think there was there was some talk before, and and things have kind of you know things could change, and he could change his mind. Uh, He could also make coach the uh, in June. There's a whole bunch of camps: uh, skills camp, lineman camp, rising stars camp. Now fans can go to those if USC wants them to. But according according to what the school has told us, they're going to keep those closed for now. So it's really just lifting off that NCAA restriction of what USC can do. It's now up to USC to decide what they want to do.
0: Exactly. Thank you very much for explaining that to me. And uh, I hope I uh, assisted some of the others to understand that because – I remember when Steve Sarkeesian was on the staff and he saw the enthusiasm of people coming over and watching practice and kids and former, or little kids that are possible players in the future and parents and everybody, coaches, it was just great. Uh, it was great, and I thought it picked a level of practice up because when you have a great group of people at a practice, your players perform better. Uh, they don't want to look bad in what they do. So I think you get better practices when you have people at your practices. And, you know, uh, you know I don't know, that means they'll lift that uh, sign-in thing and all the things we have to do uh, to get into practice. And uh, I think it'll be great. I hope Steve starks does that. And, I, and, of course, you got to have some closed practices because you want to be able to focus and get some things done that, everyone uh, sometimes distracts from so we'll see what happens i hope it works out for everybody
2: yeah we'll see what happens but you know we do know and and, uh we're going to mention this la times article uh by gary klein that the usc compliance department is is double in size at least of what it's been before and it's it's a lot bigger than most schools have and so maybe that sign-in process continues you know we'll have to wait and see and i wouldn't say that whatever happens in this first year coming off probation it's how it's going to be from now on. I think there's going to be a feel-out period. They might want to go back gradually. Um, you know, we'll see. They, they might like the way things have been closed off and, and they feel more comfortable that way. It's, it's really hard to tell. So we'll we'll kind of see with that. But Stephen Poway wrote this long email in, Coach, and I want to kind of read it to you, and we'll, it'll kind of get us talking about it. He said, I'm generally, generally supportive of Gary Klein of the L.A. Times. He does a pretty good job day in, day out. I've never found his articles to be slanted one way or another. However... The articles in Sunday's LA Times about the USC probationary period coming to an end were not some of his best work, and he says that's putting it mildly. Here's his concerns. Number one, regarding the quote, the NCAA declined a request to interview President Mark Emmert or its top compliance official to discuss the USC case for this and other articles in this collection. That should have been the headline of the article. Are you kidding me? The NCAA won't even go on record to discuss the case that's despicably. That's despicable and cowardly. Number two, he says the list of penalties. See the punishment inset, where the two glaring omissions, and probably more. Uh, there were two. He said there were two glaring omissions and probably more. The 75 scholarship limit, limit which Dan and you have discussed many times, really means the 30 scholarship penalty because it's really much higher than 30 over the years. And students in the first two years of the bull ban were allowed to transfer at will the infamous free agency rule. And so he didn't want to mention like how many students have did that. And of course that really hurt. And they said, and Penn State wasn't even mentioned in the article. Gary Klein did mention Oregon State, I'm sorry, Ohio State, Oregon, and Miami. And in his discussion of how the NCAA seemed to have given USC an unfair deal. But to me, the most glaring example of the complete double standard against USC is to compare what happened at Penn State where multiple felonies occurred an a cesspool of corruption over a very long time to USC and then dare to compare the penalties. My blood pressure probably goes up 20 points each time I think about it. All I can say is thank God probation is almost over and fight on. That's from Stephen Poway. Whew. Sorry. That was a mouthful coach.
0: No, no, he gets fired up. He could be in my huddle. I like his way <laughs> of describing things. I, I, you know, I like people that speak out, uh, whether I agree with it or not. It's always great to hear. And Steve, I agree with you a hundred percent or Steven. And, On what you're saying, if you're a a leader of an organization, you should be proud of the organization and what it's done. And you should be able to address questions from the media if uh, someone uh, requests a a time where you're available and should do this and explain your sanctions and why they were done and uh, and compare with other sanctions and be able to answer questions. Otherwise, uh, you're somewhat embarrassed about your organization and what it did and you can't defend it. Yeah, you've got to be able to defend your actions and uh, be proud of what you do and what you stand for. And uh, I agree with you, Stephen, 100 percent, 100 percent. of A lot of those things that uh, you mentioned, Stephen, as far as uh, athletes being able to transfer and all the different things, uh, all add up. And uh, this is this is uh, like I mentioned earlier in the segment. It's something that uh, I'll always remember. And uh, I don't think the the penalties uh, really uh, fit the, fit the, uh, uh, the the problem they had. And, uh, and I'll never agree with what the NCAA did. But being USC, as Gary Klein mentioned, uh, I believe he mentioned this in the article, I did read it all, that only schools like USC and Alabama can survive from this. And Miami survived from it. And as he mentioned, there's been two 10-game winning seasons during this period of time. 35 and 17 during these four years most universities in the country would jump for joy if they had the opportunity of having that type of record now you look forward you go forward you get great recruiting classes and now of course it's not as easy to win in the Pac-12 because of the Pac-12 has all become stronger programs with great coaches and great facilities so you fight your way back now and put yourself in a position where you can compete again for a national championship, and I think that's what USC's thoughts are.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, you know, I love uh, Gary's a great guy. He does. I think he does a great job. And I didn't really have the kind of issues with this article that that Stephen Poway did. It, you know, it's, it was trying to be you know informative, and you know certainly could have gone on some different things. The Penn State aspect to me is the most interesting coach because those sections were actually comparable. To USC's, they were they were harsher than USC's, but the NCAA pulled back before the sanctions really even hit. So some people feel like Penn State was punished, uh, but their their scholarship reductions, the you know the reductions that were proposed by the sanctions were actually cut by like eighty one percent, and they're not going to lo- they hadn't had to go through any of the scholarship sanctions yet. Those things take a while to get going. That's why it's been so long for USC, and you're still seeing it going on, even you know this many years later, but I think that the NCAA got what they wanted by putting out a bigger penalty than USC got. But before those sanctions really even begun, they cut them drastically by 81%. So they're never going to have to go through what USC went through, not only for three years, but they don't even have to do it for one year.
0: No, you're exactly right. And uh, like I just mentioned, USC was able to do it an impossible uh, situation and uh, do it quite successfully. I, I hate to say it that way because they've been really operating under very difficult terms and frustrating terms for all of us as far as practice and boosters not being able to fly on the plane and all the little things that people don't know in the background as far as compliance directors looking over your, everybody's shoulder. And as even uh, Pat Hayden mentioned, according to Gary Klein's uh article. We thought the first year we put too much pressure on the coaches. We did too much looking. They were doing more compliance than they were, graduating students and also worrying about what was happening on the court and fields and pools and so on. Uh, You've got to allow and and respect the coach and allow him to do what he's hired to do. And uh, I would hope compliance is better since you have 11 compliance directors. I don't know if they have that many in the FBI. But I mean, uh, you know, to have 11 compliance directors and uh, be watching everything that's going on. And and I think the key to this whole article, if you remember the last sentence, what Robert said, the attorney in charge of the compliance uh, uh, department there at USC, says, can it happen again? Oh, yes, it can. So it doesn't make any difference how many directors you have working on it. The type of thing that happened with USC in the Reggie Bush situation could happen anywhere. could happen uh, uh, with a parent that lives in Florida. I mean, are you really responsible for what's happening in a home in Florida? I mean, how do you know? Do you have someone live outside the front door and monitor everybody that goes in it? I mean, there's extremes, and it gets ridiculous. So, uh, you know, yes, it can happen. Again, it can happen to any university in the country, and uh, uh, I just hope it doesn't. But, again, uh, these things, uh, nothing is foolproof. Nothing is for sure. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens.
2: All right. Uh, well, that's, uh, we're gonna, that'll be our, enough talk about these sanctions and probation that's and all enough. that kind of stuff. That's enough. But let's talk a little football. We have a, a question here. A uh, local South Bay guy has a question for you, Coach. Here you go.
0: Hi, Ryan. Uh, this is Tom from Torrance, and I enjoy the podcast. My question is to uh, Coach Harvey. And, uh, Coach, with this type of offense, you know, the up-tempo offense uh, that we have, how can we control the ball, Uh, kill the clock, say if we have a three to seven points lead and only a few minutes left? Uh, We saw the uh, offense in the spring game, and it wasn't that good. So I'm afraid that we'll be uh, giving the ball right away to the uh, other teams. So please explain to us how can we do that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, um, I'll tell you, it, it's built to, uh, you know, score quickly and get a lot of points. Let me let me mention this to you. Do you remember a couple of years ago when Chip Kelly's Oregon team was driving down the field and they were just whipping? I mean, guys were wide open. A touchdown pass was dropped. I forget by who from Oregon. And he slowed the game down. Uh, if he'd have continued running the hurry-up offense, he'd have beat us. I remember that game distinctly. He slowed it down and played a style he wasn't used to. I'm not sure how they lost. They missed a field goal. I think he decided to go for field goal, which is something that Chip Kelly never does. So it's it's uh, a little bit different to change your philosophy towards an end of a end of a game when you're always a hurry-up type of offense, and you decide now to slow things down, and and it gives more of a time for the defense to get lined up, and and uh, they know what you're going to do, and. Uh, so I agree with you. Uh, I think that if you, you, you go with a style, you play with that style. and uh, But that's what you do, and that's what you do well. You can't change it. So, uh, yes, I'm really concerned, and one of my big question marks, and I've talked to John Robinson about this. I've talked to a lot of guys about this. Coaches, I'm actually waiting to see what the transition is from a power type of offense at USC to a hurry-up offense. I really am. I'm the type of guy that believes that USC, Ohio State, uh, Alabama, Notre Dame, some of these teams just get better players, should get better players, not that the other teams don't have great players. And I'm into ma- playing great defense, special teams, and beat you to death with the offense, keep the ball away from you where you never get it again. Just make you throw in the white flag. You've heard me talk about this before. So, To get away from what USC has done for 20, 30 years, back with John McKay and John Robinson and everybody else, it's going to be real interesting for me to to watch, uh, to see just how the crowd adapts to it, the fans, the players, coaches, the whole thing. Now, obviously, the Washington staff believes in it, uh, or they wouldn't be teaching it. Uh, It's going to be real good to see exactly if this style of, of offense fits in at USC. It certainly should. It's got great players, but this offense was designed to make up the difference between teams like USC uh to be able to score quickly. And uh SC's uh philosophy was to just pound you and keep the football so you can never score. So we'll see what happens with this and uh, you're right in the spring game the defense really dominated the offense and uh, uh they didn't move the ball around much. Uh, Uh, They didn't work on much uh, goal line in the spring game. Uh, They kicked four four field goals in the spring game, and it wasn't really what I may say for most of the fans that went there to see a hurry-up type of offense. Very exciting. I saw people leave early. People were somewhat discussing and talking about the same things you're talking about. I know we discussed it here on the podcast as well as with other people. Uh, it didn't just seem like they had got it yet. So we'll see what happens here in the fall. You've got some recruits in too, and they should know the offense better, but I'm still in that position of saying, I'll wait and see. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah. we. Uh, I, when I watch that stuff, coach and uh, you see the, the shotgun stuff all the time, the thing that bothers me the most is like the third and ones and you're still lining up in, in the shotgun. And that's, I I, control the clock. I think they can do some things where they, you know, they can still, they're still going to run the football a lot, but I would like to see a little bit more under center and in those short yardage situations. That's the biggest pet peeve I think I have.
0: Well, yeah, you do. And they'll probably have some of that as the season comes around here in the fall camp, they'll, they'll work on some goal line offense with the snap directly to the, the quarterback, but unless you work on it, you're not very good at it. So uh, how much time do you have to get good at all these different things? You don't. You can do too much and not be very good at anything. So, uh, USC becomes the same type of offense as they have probably everybody in the conference except for Stanford. Maybe Oregon State is still doing uh, some I But uh, now they're running the same offense as 90% of the country is.
2: Um, we got one last question for you, Coach, and uh, this right. is about uh, Utah, and this is Melvin. He said, since we traveled to Utah this week, and I'll be, uh, he said, I'll be on the road when the Monday podcast comes out. Actually, it's coming out on Tuesday, Melvin, so you should be okay. He wants to know about the Utah game. Uh, can you tell us what to expect possibly from the University of Utah football this season? All I know is that the head coach has had a great reputation, Kyle Whittingham, and USC plays U- Utah on October twenty. 20- Fifth uh, in Utah, and it's kind of interesting, Coach. Uh, I mean, they were only five and seven last year. They were, you know, at one point they were one and five in the conference, uh, or one and six in the conference, and their one win was over Stanford, which is kind of crazy. They end up beating Colorado to uh, to end the season, but it was five and seven overall. And this year they have to go play at Michigan, uh, which is pretty tough. And, and they also play a common opponent. Uh, uh, out of conference opponent from usc in uh, fresno state they get fresno state at home and usc also gets fresno state at home but any thoughts on this team that finished five and seven last year coach what you think uh, what they could do to turn it around this year
0: well you know uh, colorado and utah are having a tough time in the pac 12 they they are Uh, uh, utah was a very strong opponent or very strong team in, in of course, the Mountain West Conference. Colorado was in the Big 12, uh, and uh, they brought in really – I don't know why they brought these two teams into the conference. You've heard me say that. Larry Scott wanted to expand. I think you bring people in when they can really bring something to the conference, and certainly these two teams were going to come in because of the amount of money that they got from from the TV uh, revenue and so on. It changed their whole athletic department. But you've got to be successful, too, in the uh, in the conference. What sports, really, does, is Utah successful in, as far as in the Pac-12? I don't know, but you probably know, but I don't really read about them being very successful in any of them. Colorado uh, basketball, uh, they're, they're pretty good in. Uh, but I think that Utah's in a little bit over its head. I think that with Willingham, I think, is a great coach. I really think he is. But, you know, he's on the bubble. He brought in Dennis Erickson last year to be offensive coordinator, and I think he made a change there now where he's not the offensive coordinator. Somebody else is. Erickson's still there. I think Erickson's a great coach, and I like him very much. He's trying to do everything he can, but unless he wins this coming year, he's in jeopardy losing his coaching job. I really believe that. I hate to say that, but after all of what he's done there and the number of years he's been there, but you got to win. Uh, that's what the whole story is. you got to win. So what they need to do is get great players. they got to get better skilled players. They normally have great, great offensive linemen and defensive linemen, as we all know, but uh, I think they're a little bit behind in their skilled players they've got to move up in the recruiting ranks. I don't think they recruit the same players that the other Pac-12 schools recruit. If you look at the recruiting numbers and you see where they're ranked, they're hardly ever ranked up there. In that maybe last as far as in the Pac-12, along with Colorado preseason publications, have them way down as far as what the media thinks, uh, where they'll finish. Uh, Colorado last in their division, Utah, I think next to last. So, uh, it's a very interesting year for both Colorado and also uh, Utah. What they need to do is get better players. And if you don't have great players, you don't win. And that's the answer.
2: Yeah, we'll USC has to try to avoid that Stanford loss. If, if, if Utah struggles like they were last year and they still go out and beat Stanford at home, where Stanford kind of laid an egg there, USC is certainly going to have to avoid something like that. So uh, we'll see. It's still a dangerous team, Coach, but yeah, I agree. They're just not haven't made that qu- that transition quite as well i like kyle willingham a lot as a coach it'll be interesting to see what he has to say at pac-12 media day but that's all we got for you today coach so thanks for coming on on the first day where usc doesn't find itself on ncaa probation in four years kind of crazy
0: well again uh- I want to thank you and all of our listeners out there and uh, have a great week and enjoy the summer because football's not that far away.
2: All right. Fall camp's coming up. You just check, check out uscfootball.com for all the latest on the summer workouts to get your, get your little fix before fall camp starts. All right. Thanks again, Coach, and everyone else. Back in a minute, I'm going to talk to Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer.
1: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Paristyle Podcast. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host Ryan Abraham.
2: We are back, Peristyle Podcast. We got Dan Weber joining us. USCFootball.com beat writer extraordinaire has been out at all the uh, summer workouts. How you doing, Dan? What's going on?
1: Doing, uh, doing good. Had another workout last night. They're, they're pretty far along. I mean, they uh, these things are running more like you know, real. Real practices, and and a lot of that is because they do want to get up to speed on uh, on the uh, the up tempo offense and the hand signals and the uh, you know all the sideline signals and what have you. So they almost have to be more organized than we've seen in the past. Uh, and they get more done. There are more defensive players there. There are more defensive players there. So you know you're throwing the ball every time when they're going eleven on eleven or whatever against like the full defensive line with Leonard Williams and and Antoine Woods and and people that, that make it tough on the quarterback. So uh it's a it he has a different feel to it, more of a like real practice feel. I mean they start with a uh walk through like they do in the regular practice of what they're gonna do and then they go ahead and do it and uh, they break into individual periods. It's kind of like a mini uh, regular practice. Uh, I'm real impressed with, uh, you know, with with what's getting done and the way they're doing it. And I think for people, and there are people who are, you know, kind of worried that, well, first few games will, how much of an adjustment, you know, to the new offense and how much of an adjustment. And and I can understand that for people who saw the spring game, where they really – I mean, if you want to use the word sandbag for the spring game, you'd be legit, that'd be legit. And so I know there are people thinking the spring game represents something. It really didn't represent anything, I and mean, it didn't look like even any of the practices. But uh, but uh, I've been real impressed with the way they're they're conducting the uh, the summer workouts and and what they're getting done and how much how much um, you know how many reps they're getting. That's, you know, been the secret all through spring, but uh, uh, I'm real impressed. Uh, yeah, I mean, it looks interesting.
2: I saw we put up on uscfootball.com you have some ghost notes on the Peristyle. Uh, your instant analysis video is up on the site, and also there's a highlight video. You get to see some of the guys running around and uh, some, some good plays on defense we saw from Monday's practice. Uh, but also, Dory Jackson was out there for the first time. looked like he was playing corner.
1: He was uh, getting uh, getting some tutoring from Josh Shaw uh, on the during the walkthrough. You know, here's where you stand. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. Um, and then uh, Gerald, Gerald Bowman came over. So uh, Adoree got uh, you know kind of double teamed in terms of uh, you know some of the things that he could expect to to look look for in terms of different uh, defensive alignments and how they would uh, how they would uh, you know expect him as he was the wide guy in corner, like when they went, uh, the first time he went kind of live in 11 on 11, they were, uh, they went three wide and he took the wide, the wide guy. uh, And uh, you can tell he's, uh, he's doing some thinking and you can also tell he's got some uh, serious catch up speed. I mean, he, uh, and he's going to need it right now uh, because that's what he's going to be doing, a little catch up speed. And then they ran, after the, the back-to-back interceptions, a uh, really nice deflection by Leon McQuay. He should have caught it and went through his hands. And then uh, and, uh, Ryan Dillard grabbed the ball in, in the air off of Max Brown. And then uh, Cody went deep and playing deep, deep center field with Sue in a crowd. And made a made a great play and came up with the ball. So they were back to back. So the next play, they come out and they go right at Adori with um, uh, Darius Rogers. It's like a 20-yard uh, back shoulder throw, perfect execution. Uh, and somebody from the offensive side said uh, back shoulder rook to uh, Adori. You know, just making the point that uh, uh, that these guys can make some plays, and uh, it was really. If they can run that back shoulder like that, I was, uh, you know, you had uh, flashbacks of that Arizona State game where they ran that thing so often and so well as they have against USC. But um, uh, they're doing a lot of things that make a lot of sense, and they're doing them over and over and over again. Uh, The some of the stuff they're running out of the backfield to um, uh, Buck Allen and Trey Madden wheel routes and. And uh, little flare stuff where the play starts one direction and ends up coming back the backside, and you got uh, uh, a Trey Madden or a uh, Buck Allen isolated on either, you know, a smaller or a slower guy in, in the open field. It's going to be fun to watch.
2: Um, let's see. You mentioned Buck Allen, Dan, and we did have a question from Ron. He said he's heard Buck Allen's had a very good off-season. Uh, what else have you seen from him?
1: he just looks I mean I was telling Chris it's just like it's fun just to be there watching him just you know in the walkthrough I mean it, it, he he's so quick and strong and uh, and he catches the ball so well I mean that's the thing that always set Buck I thought uh, you know apart from everybody else was he had been such a you know great wide receiver in high school and uh, you know it's six you know a little over six feet tall and 215 pounds with with the kind of quickness and athleticism he's got but to be able to catch and convert the ball uh up the field the yards after catch uh and it really looks like they're they're doing a lot of things to get the ball to buck in space uh just you know then there are a lot of ways to do that and uh and they're gonna give people problems in terms of matchups just uh you know, if the wide receivers and if they can get a tight end, you really have to respect um, uh, down the field. It's going to be hard to know how to you know handle uh, that tailback, you know, going either direction and maybe going against the direction of the flow of the play uh, when they get the ball to him. And, and Trey Mann is almost as good a receiver as Buck. I mean, he's a he's a heck of a receiver. So uh, you do see them doing things that seem to make a whole lot of sense for this personnel group. Uh, I thought the other thing, Max Brown was back and throwing the ball really well, and uh, the combination of Max and Cody, I mean, uh, Cody just seems to be uh, more on top of his game in terms of throwing the ball, just getting on top of the ball and and just driving it. You know, A lot of the short, quick stuff and that, he's really driving the ball in there. I I was... uh, it was like, wow! They took off, you know, took a few weeks off, and they got back in the groove last week. But, but really, looked um, like they've they've come, uh, you know, a significant way uh, uh, already this summer.
2: Uh, Melvin had a question, Dan, and I know one of these guys has been out at practice, so maybe you could share some thoughts on that. But he said, with fall coming up soon, can you tell me a little about two incoming freshmen who are at skill positions where death might be a question? Bryce Dixon at tight end. And Rasheed Johnson at wide receiver. That's from
1: Melvin. Yeah, I don't think I have enough of a, a feel on uh, you know Rasheed, uh, who I think is one of the ones that Sark has said is going to get a chance both ways uh, in the first five days of practice. He's going to go both ways. So uh, I, I did get to see Bryce, uh, and uh, he started out, he, he will be the smallest of the tight end group. He started out um, with um, with the receivers actually uh, the other night and then last night and then he ended up uh, they kind of bumped him down to the, um, uh, the the tight ends they only had they only had three Chris Wilson I think is going to be a real factor um, he's uh, he's doing a lot of things he's you know six, six, five, 255 real athletic. Uh, a guy who can and an absolutely can catch the ball, he really knows what he's doing. And he's kinda with, uh, uh, kind of with Jalen, Fitzpatrick wasn't there, and Randall hasn't been there yet. So uh, Chris is kind of uh, running the tight end show. And you can tell, uh, Bryce doesn't have the build of the classic uh, tight end, but he's a tight end that can get deep, and he can certainly catch the ball, certainly jump. He's not going to be somebody watching him work work on their blocking. He's not going to be somebody that's real comfortable right now, uh, you know, blocking people at the line of scrimmage. But that's not what he does. You know, he runs and jumps and catches it, and he does look like a wide receiver in a kind of a small, tight end body. I mean, not, you know, and we're just guessing because we can't ask them how much they weigh. We don't talk to him about that. But, uh, you know, in the 230s, uh, which would make him kind of a you know a smallish uh, uh, smallish tight end at this point, but again he's you know just just getting out of high school, so he he does have the frame that he could certainly get bigger, but um, but I, he is a he is a guy who can get deep uh, quickly and catch the ball, and uh, those are two pretty good things I think uh, when they uh, it'd be interesting to see how they use him. Uh, they do seem to be doing more h back stuff. Which again makes a lot of sense. Um, so uh, I'll be interested to see how uh, how Bryce how that all develops. Uh, they were working with him a lot, you know, on uh, much like Adori in terms of uh, you know where to line up and uh, how to release and uh, you know all that kind of you know all that kind of thing. And it, you know it's at the pace they're going for a kid. You know, that's their first second practice out of high school. Uh, that's a challenge. So. And they're not slowing down for him. They're kind of trying to you know, help him out between plays or, you know, when they do the walkthrough and, and, uh, and just say, uh, and then by the end of practice, you see him, you know, getting in some. And, uh, uh, but, uh, but I think he will be able to contribute in, uh, in some particular, you know, ways uh, you know, this fall.
2: You know, uh, Rashid uh, Johnson was in there. But I I missed the last couple ones because I was in Baltimore. But when he was in there, he was actually playing defense. What I saw, I don't know if he was out there again last night, Dan. Uh,
1: I didn't. I did not see him uh, on defense last night. So uh, so uh, we saw you uh, know Sua and Chris and Kevon and uh, and Josh and and Gerald Bowman. Uh, it was it was kind of the the veteran uh you know, crew uh uh you know, more than anything uh last night. So uh and uh so I'm not sure if we're see uh you know and how they're gonna do it'll be interesting to see also with the guys that are gonna go uh both ways the first five days. Do they alternate for them in the summer? You know, do they do uh defense one day and offense the next day? We'll 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 see how that goes when we watch, you know, Adori and Juju and those guys as as they uh as they move along uh, with the uh, with
2: the summer practices. Um, here's one from uh, Tony Gomez. He says, it's the second time writing the show. I really enjoy the podcast. You guys do an awesome job. Well, thank you, Tony. On Monday's podcast, you did not mention names, but hinted at the possible return of former players that were currently not with the team. I read somewhere about a potential return of Junior Pame. If I'm not mistaken, it was either Christian Hayward or Devontae Wilson as well. Is there any truth behind that? Palme was cleared of all charges, and Kiffin did not allow him to return. We could use another tight end, and Palme was highly rated. Thanks again, and keep up the good work. Tony.
1: Tony, the, the, the strongest possibility you hear is, is Patrick Hall, uh, who has gone back to Ventura Junior College last last year, and I know you know a lot of that becomes uh, the grades and transfer uh, credits and all that kind of thing, and 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 what have you. Uh, I think he has the best. I hadn't thought about Christian. I haven't heard that, uh, about that possibility. Uh, yeah. You, you come up with a couple of names there that I guess, I uh, see it would be the only way to expand their roster with scholarship player with new scholarship players because they'd be really old scholarship players. They wouldn't count against the, the 15 for last year or the 25 for next year. The only way you could do it. Haven't heard those names. Uh, They're something to think about. I ask around and see if anybody, if anybody knows if there's anything going on, uh, you know, under the radar for uh, a couple of other kids who've, uh, you know, who've left their who've left the team. But interesting thought.
2: Uh, let's see. Then we have one from uh, Charlie and Carson. Uh, he says, "Is it me, or is it every recruit who's being recruited outside of California?" always mentions loving USC due to tradition and, quote-unquote, Reggie Bush. I'm an avid fan of uscfootball.com. Read the articles, and I constantly see his name mentioned. Everybody makes mistakes, but USC should look at the fact that these high-profile recruits remember Reggie Bush for what he brought to the university on the field. Yes, I know that because of him we had sanctions, but let's be honest, USC wasn't the only one who had players do what he did. Do you think his number will ever be restored? Uh, thought we were the nation's second. Uh, th- I'm sorry. Excuse me. I thought we were the nation of second chances and sometimes third chances. That's Charlie from Carson writing in about Reggie. But
1: Charlie, yeah, that's a really good observation. It is amazing that you know, ten years ago, those kids were paying attention to Reggie Bush. I mean, that was a uh, and and you're not you know the first one to notice that, that that they and I think it might be the only thing Paul D. The late great paul D was right about uh saying how u s c would benefit with all these uh kids wanting to come there because of Reggie bush, so that's why u s c was supposed to uh you know put a i guess twenty four hour you know monitor on on Reggie and uh you know with a retired f b i guy i guess i don't know uh but um uh but you're right. It's had an impact, and 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 you can you know all you want say go away, don't be associated. You can't take Reggie out of their minds. I mean, uh, some of us are not very happy with uh, you know some of the uh, you know the selfishness involved in, uh, and and uh, the you know lack of concern about uh, USC that happened there, or the failure to maybe you know make things right right away. Um, but uh, clearly a double standard. I mean, if Reggie. Reggie was probably, you know, if, if you looked at all the Heisman Trophy winners, you looked at all the big stars in college football. Uh, was Reggie that far out of line with, with an awful lot of this? No, obviously not. And many, most of them have gone completely un unpunished, unremarked upon, certainly unbanned, you know, from their, uh, their college program. So yeah, it, it, yes, he got screwed and the NCAA knew it and didn't care. But, it's interesting that the, uh, the, the, the that that no matter what they can't take out out of those kids' minds, and those kids are, you know, what were they eight years old at the time, <laughs> and and it's true, uh, it's amazing. But uh, give Paul D credit; he got he got that one right.
2: <laughs> he did actually. I mean, that's that's the one thing when you look back and say, oh, Reggie Bush is going to get you thirty recruits as a if you're USC, and well. It, it's happened like that, and even more. People are still talking about Reggie Bush that many years later. So it's an interesting. You know, question. I
1: think it's having more of an impact now, which is really weird. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's inexplicable. Uh, I, I'm not even, I, but it's 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 real. <laughs> it's just hard to hard to know how stuff happens like that. But it's not. A, uh, that's the the correct observation.
2: It definitely is real. Uh, Well, one last thing before we let you go, Dan. I just wanted to let people know. um, I got an email from one of our old buddies, uh, Barry Markowitz, who is uh, Abe Markowitz's father, and he said Uh for the podcast, he said, tell your audience Abe would love for USC fans in Cardinal and Gold cheering for him Saturday, 7 p.m. at the Honda Center in Anaheim. Abe's team, the Portland Thunder, plays the L.A. Kiss. Abe has been uh, the starting center since he joined the team. Two weeks ago. So I don't I'm not even. I don't. I'm not going to pretend to know much about these teams or this league, but that was the word I got, Dan, that uh, Abe Markowitz is back playing some football.
1: Yeah. I, I think one of the things that's hurt, you know, the UFC guys like uh, 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 John Martinez and Abe, uh, if you didn't make it through the first cut in the NFL camps, very often you'd go to Canada, you know, the Canadian League, but they're going on strike today. So oh. uh, so nobody knows what's happening with the Canadian League and I think you know, these guys probably have a pretty good shot to play in Canada. But so that bumped and I think Abe just decided what the heck, you know, this is football, instead of just working out and working out and, and trying to get ready, I'll just go ahead and play. So I think he had a had a couple of pretty good, good games for Portland and they uh, they play the kiss. Which is it's weird. I was, I was talking to Barry Markowitz, and I guess the kiss you would think, you know, in Orange County and and a uh, big LA presence would have some USC guys, but it doesn't look like they do, or almost that many Southern California players. But uh, but Abe will be there. Uh, you know, I think the tickets are pretty inexpensive, and uh, so uh, uh, I think. Abe, and one of the things about the Arena League, I think, you know, everybody runs a shotgun, and that's that center is pretty pretty uh pretty important and abe is like this you know snapping machine i mean he is he snaps the ball shotgun snaps as well as anybody you know in the country and they look at it as well this will give me some good film you know if you decide to go to canada and uh it's more, you know it's closer to real football and it's uh you know if you want a stepping stone to the nfl possibly i mean it's possible but this gives you some film that The uh, Canadian guys can look at, and uh, they're going to come on strike sometime, we would guess. But that would be great, yeah. So, 7 o'clock Saturday, the Honda Center.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Dan, for that. Thanks, Mr. Markowitz, for sending that in. Good luck to Abe this weekend. And uh, we'll keep watching USC football. Summer workouts continue. We'll have more reports on uscfootball.com. We are going to try to do a, a recruiting podcast with Gerard, so stay tuned for that. Jar uh, and I just got back from Baltimore. We we're at the Rivals Five-Star Challenge, so lots of information on the site about USC recruits, lots of exclusive video we'll have up on uscfootball.com. Make sure you check that out. Well, thanks again, Dan, for uh, coming on the show, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Ryan.
2: All right, everyone else, thank you so much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Talk to you all next week.